You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where wishing doesn't make it so, but wishing can get you between two and fro. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said or ever will say and or whatever you want to say on this show. I'm flying solo this episode. Michigan had a big win the day before I recorded this episode. I want to let William celebrate that. So congrats to Michigan. But remember, remember, that's just one hat and t-shirt game. Got to go to the Big Ten Championship game now. Have to go to the playoffs now. There's a lot left to play for. I think a lot of young players forget that. A lot of young teams forget that. But that's not the main reason I'm flying solo. The main reason I'm flying solo is I just have a lot to do. Uh, My parents are in town. The Patriots are playing today. I'm going to dinner with my parents, and then I have to prep for going back to school next week. And because of that and the time difference, remember, William lives on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast. It makes it really hard to be able to record because William would have to get up very, very early, and that's not something I'm comfortable asking him to do. I would rather just ramble on my own. Now, my parents being here, I will admit that the most farce I have witnessed this week is from my family. And I don't even mean immediately my family, although it is hilarious how the number one thing my parents argue about nowadays in their old age is whether tip has already been included in a bill at a restaurant. They love to go out to eat, especially when they're on vacation. So we've been going out to eat a lot, which health-wise that has benefits and drawbacks, a lot of drawbacks, won't go into that. But they do argue about that. No, I'm talking about the stories they tell about my brothers. However, I don't want to go into that. Why? Because I am not a celebrity. Now, if I were someone like Adam Carolla, I would tell all these stories. I would tell these stories because there's there's a lot of farce here. And I don't think that's different from anybody else's family. I think when we have a culture where the ideas are so screwed up, they're so mixed, No, there's so much collectivism. There's so much uh, wokeism. I hesitate to use that word because it's so loaded nowadays, but you you know what I mean when I say that. I think a lot of people's families have a lot of farce, but I'm not a celebrity, so I don't want to put those things in public. I don't want to put those things in blast. I do think it's funny, though, that it took my parents nearly 41 years to realize that I'm the one who has the least drama, especially because they always talk about how when I was an infant that I was very easy to take care of because I didn't ask for much. I didn't complain about much. And guess what? I'm the same way. And I'm still the same way. And I think it sort of maybe speaks to the idea of a benevolent universe versus a malevolent universe. And I don't know whether that's something that's imprinted upon you or, you know, that's part of our psychology that we already had. I mean, we all know who listened to the show or, you know, the objectivist listeners to the show know that Rand talked about being born tabula rasa. That's something you know she got from 
John Locke, you know, there's that episode of Lost called Tabula Rasa based on this idea that, you know, everyone deserves a blank slate and everyone is born, you know, the idea without a psychology, without ideas. But I don't, I don't think that vets itself out. I don't think in the long run that's true. And I don't know if the benevolent universe premise and the malevolent universe premise is something that you're born with or something you develop, or maybe, as Dr. Drew says, it's 60-40 or 70-30. However, when we talk about those two things, that will come back in the review this week. So I will be reviewing Disney's latest animated feature, Wish. But before that, I I just want to talk about uh, a couple of things that have stuck out to me. Now, I already said that I'm very busy and it's hard for me to, you know, care about a lot of the farce that's out there. You know, a lot of people get super invested in what's going on in in the world. And, And I've talked about this extensively on the show, the idea of we're also global nowadays and people want to care about global problems. And I just don't feel the need to or it's not pragmatic or practical for me too. Yeah, it's it's really important to have principles, but when something doesn't affect me in the immediate, how is me having an opinion and stating that opinion going to have any positive effect in the long term? And what I mean by that is if I stick to my principles and live by my principles, I will create a world or start building towards a world that will have what I believe to be proper be more likely. Now, ironically, in the the movie Wish, we see that mass action is important, and we see that all of our combined ideas and combined actions are what really shape things. So, yeah, I'm only moving things a small amount because I'm only one person. Then we get into the idea of, you know people who have greater influences and does that make you more important does that make you a greater person look i'm not here to have a debate about ranking human beings right i don't think that's helpful or fruitful although i do have people i admire more than others i would say tom brady and bill belichick have done more good in the world than a lot of people other people would say they're just football players they're just athletes they haven't my dad would certainly say that he talked a lot this week about celebrity culture and how we're obsessed with celebrity of course then he tells me how amazing tom brady is and how much bill belichick sucks so i guess we all have our our contradictions my point being though yes i recognize that i only have a small influence in the world but if i live in line with my principles and i try to produce and support my values i'm doing everything i can to make the world better i don't believe having a public opinion on everything, especially global things, is necessary. And and you probably know what I'm referring to. I've talked about this before. If, if you're a routine listener of the show, you know that I'm talking about the Israel-Hamas conflict. A lot happened this week with that, right, with all the hostage releases and things like that. But there were a couple other things that stuck out to me. William and Daniel shared them in the, the midside text thread. And I just think that they're they're pretty farcical and and they show what i'm talking about they show the the absurdity of everybody needing to have something to say about this and everybody needing to have something to say at all times the first thing is the first thing is 
the protests at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. My immediate thought is, why? Why the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? And what I mean by that is, where is the conflict taking place? The Middle East, right? Gaza. We're talking about Palestine versus Israel. Yet people are protesting in America on Thanksgiving Day, a holiday that the people involved with the conflict do not celebrate. Why then are we protesting during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? I got a little distracted there because it feels like or sounds like somebody was just behind me or coming up the stairs. or So it's, it's a little harder when you're the only one talking because you don't, A, have another person to focus on, and B, you don't get that feedback about what you're saying. So it's easier to lose your place, it's easier to get distracted, and it's harder to redirect, especially when more is going on than you expected to go on around you, around you. That's currently what I'm struggling with. And that's part of hypervigilance, right? I hear all these noises in it and it distracts me. That's, I actually have that problem in the classroom where I am really sensitive to kids having side conversations and everything when I'm talking. Hey, when they're talking and they're working in their group work, that's, that's cool. I let them talk about what they want as long as they get their work done. But when I'm talking and then they start having conversation, it's it's hard for me to keep my thoughts rolling. And that's actually one of the most challenging things about coaching wrestling is when you're at a giant tournament, you have to learn to focus in that way. Because if there's four to six mats and wrestlers all over the place and, and refs and coaches, you have to really learn in how to dial in. And that's one of the things I enjoy about it. It helps me develop skills I need for my overall life. But I think it's more difficult now because when I'm recording alone, it makes me feel more vulnerable, especially when I'm talking about the topic I'm talking about, which is, you know, the the Middle East conflict between Palestine and Israel and all the events that happened this week. I was talking about, to, to redirect here, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? I'm talking about how, hey, that has nothing to do with the conflict, the war between Israel and in Palestine, yet protesters decided to do things like grow, the, uh, grow, glue themselves to the street, glue themselves to the street. So again, I ask, what will be accomplished here? What will be accomplished here? Is this the same old mentality of America must get involved and America is the world police? I mean, didn't Trey Parker and, and Matt Stone sort of expose the farce of that with Team America World Police? The idea that, oh, we're going to protest in America to have things stop in the Middle East. Like, what are we supposed to go in? Now, I understand the argument that the U.S. is supporting Israel, but there are reasons the U.S. is supporting Israel. And again, my, my point here is not to give my opinion and not to come out about what I think about this. Although, you'll find out why in a second. Because, I mean, pragmatically, I don't think it helps things. And I'll explain what I mean. Pragmatically, it doesn't help things in a moment. Uh, what I want to point here out here is what's really going on with these protests. What's really going on with these protests. And what I mean by that is it is grandstanding. This isn't actually about the issue. 
This isn't actually about getting anything done. This is about getting attention. What is it? What does William say all the time? Cluster B narcissism. Well, these are people. These are people who had a banner that said liberation for Palestine and planet. And then this article from Fox News says they called for an end to fossil fuels while supporting Palestinians in Gaza. What do those two things have to do with each other? This is the cognitive dissonance that exists, that everybody needs to believe that they're the most important person in the world. And this goes back to what I was saying about, I only have a little sphere of influence, right? And, you know, theoretically, we could rank everybody, but I'm not interested in doing that. I know I have a small sphere of influence, and most people in the history of the planet Earth have a small sphere of influence. But people nowadays... And maybe it's always been like this. I don't know. I just think back in the day, back in the day when, you know, there were no computers where they communicated, let's say, via ravens, such as in Game of Thrones. They didn't have a broader view of the world because all they knew was what was in front of them. So they couldn't worry about global issues. Whereas here, to believe you are important nowadays, people want to believe that the ideas they hold are all inter connected. At least a certain type of person wants to believe all ideas are connected, right? We see this on the left where it tends to be called wokeism. We see this on the right where people have taken to calling it Trumpism and, and Trump to his credit rhetorically made it. So many people believe he is the nexus point that will solve their worldview Right. Oh, if we just elect Trump and follow Trump, then he will fix all the problems. Whereas on the left, they didn't make it one specific person. It's more sort of nebulous because it's it's more collectivist in that way. Obviously, both of these sides have major issues, right? Collectivism in the form of the group rules where there there's no distinct leader and people don't get their own say. So then, you know, no one is satisfied or collectivism in the sense of we have to raise up one leader who speaks for the collective history has borne out how how that is a problem but you know both of these sides bear the same problem of oh everything i believe in the world all is connected so not only do we have to fight for liberation for palestine but we have to fight for the liberation for the planet as well first of all the idea that the planet needs to be liberated is a whole other thing well and the idea that palestine needs to be liberated these are both claims that are incredibly debatable, incredibly debatable, and there's so much packed in them, yet they're out there protesting this together. And whenever there's a protest, the question is, what are they trying to achieve? And that that's what the answer is. The answer is that there's nothing they're really trying to achieve. They just want to be heard. They just want to be seen. They just want to feel important. Hey, pay attention to me. And that goes to the second bit of farce here that I wanted to talk about in regards to the issues around Israel and Palestine in our country this week, where this is another story sent by William and Daniel. They both actually sent this one. They they literally both sent this one within like 15 minutes of each other without realizing the other had put it in the thread. So this is uh, 
from the New York Post, pro-Israeli teacher hides in Queens High School as radicalized students riot. They want her fired. So apparently there was all of this conflict and rigmarole at this school in Queens where there were lockdowns and there was destructions. Uh, One senior told the Post, the teacher was seen holding a sign of Israel, like supporting it at a pro-Israel rally on Queens in Queens on October 9th. And then a bunch of kids decided to make a group chat, expose her, talk about it, and then talk about starting a riot. Uh, One of the things I find funny is they have a screenshot here from, it looks like Instagram from the school Hillcrest, uh, Hillcrest, Hillcrest underscore vibes, where where they show the teacher holding the sign. The teacher's pictures or the teacher's face is blurred by the New York Post, but the sign says, I stand with Israel. And over it, the Hillcrest Vibe account wrote, when a protest breaks out because a teacher stands with Israel. Except the word breaks is spelled B-R-A-K-E-S. Not B-R-E-A-K-S, B-R-A-K-E-S. Now, I know I'm an English teacher, and maybe you all think I'm being pedantic, or someone thinks I'm being pedantic, but how can anyone take your argument seriously when you can't even get basic grammar right? How can you have an informed opinion on war, conflict, geography, political history, religion, genocide, racism, collectivism, violence, education, if you can't even understand the difference between basic homophones. And what I mean by that is the following. This is why I always tell students my job is not to teach you what to think, it's to teach you how to think. How is it valuable to only have a teacher only have teachers that have the exact same opinion as everybody else at the school and every student. It's not. Yet these students are protesting this. Now, here's the deal. I don't think these students actually care. I just think these students wanted a reason to rebel. And that's where the real farce is here. You know, the farce is how they can't even spell the word breaks properly. That's funny. That's funny. But the real real protest, the real farce here is... How is it that the left continues to this day to be the side that appeals to the youth? Even though, by and by, largely, in the culture, collectivism, socialism, social justice are what is popular and accepted by the youth So not only popular in the mainstream media, when we talk about movies, when we talk about music, talk about television, these are the ideas that are most common. We've talked about it over and over again when analyzing movies and trailer takedown, when we're looking for the social justice, we're looking for the collectivism, we see the telltale signs. Yet, students believe, the youth believes that the left is counterculture, still to this day. Now, not surprisingly, this is happening in New York City. What does that tell you about 
the education system. What does that tell you about the bias in the education system in New York City? Because I'm telling you, first of all, there aren't enough Jewish people here in the area I'm in for anyone to have an opinion on this or care that deeply about this. But I'm telling you, this would not happen in Florida. But we don't know the issues when it would happen or when it would not. I mean, I talked on this show about the parental rights and education bill, the don't say gay bill. I talked about, I believe, how I handled it in the classroom. When it came up and when students had a protest, fine, they had a walkout, fine. Again, what it would accomplish, not much. However, these kids are young and they're learning how to express themselves. So I don't really have as much of a, a problem with that. Then again, I'm a debate teacher. That's sort of my, my job is to teach them how to speak up and question authority and, and things like that. But the other students in the classroom, did I give my opinion? No. When they had questions, I helped them figure out the answers. And what did I do? I had them read the bill. Now, if an issue like this came up, It'd be much harder to teach because this issue is so wrapped up in so much complex philosophy, theology, history, that you couldn't read the bill and have a discussion about it over one or two days. Here, I mean, this you do entire college seminars on this topic. So why... Would it benefit me? How would it benefit me to have an opinion on this when all you're doing is opening yourself up to the possibility of something to this extreme happening? Now, again, I don't think anything this extreme would happen over any of my my beliefs, but the absolute absurdity of two things. One, protesting in the manner they did Because someone had an opinion they didn't like about something that doesn't affect their country directly. And two, students thinking this is how you deal with issues. This is how you talk about issues. You do it in a a violent way. That is a failure of the culture on multiple levels. That is a failure of the education system. And that is a failure of the parents. That's why ultimately I believe, you know, there may have been a couple kids who genuinely believed it, although I'm probably being generous even saying that. I think most of them just, this was just their latest way to rebel and freak out and speak out. Because everyone needs to have an opinion on everything, even if they're not informed and everyone has to be incensed about everything, right? That's what I was talking about with the parade, the narcissism. Well, that's something that's being bred into the youth right now, right? I've talked about it with the cell phones that there are less fights now at school because there are fewer fights. Sorry, there are fewer fights now at school because when kids don't put things on social media, other kids don't see them and then they don't go to fight. Now they actually have to go to each other and threaten each other and, and, and fight that way, right? Start a conflict that way, which most people don't do. Instead, if you're sitting there and you're just looking at your phone and you're watching someone shit talk you and you're on your own, 
there's a there's a very narcissistic experience there. You feel like the entire world. This device that's being broadcast on, which you project onto it that everyone's seeing this, when really you're the only one in that moment moment seeing it. And I don't know about you guys, but like the most views I ever get on my Instagram story when I do post on it is like eighty something. So even if someone gets a thousand views. There's 8 billion people on the planet right now. In the history of the world, does it matter that a thousand people saw someone say, oh, he's a doo-doo head, right? Oh, he's an idiot. Oh, he's a wuss, right? He's a pushover, whatever. I don't know know what they say nowadays, right? They obviously don't say doo-doo head. But that's the inherent narcissism of it. And and that's, that's what we're seeing here. To shift gears a little bit, continuing with the theme of narcissism, and I realize this is sort of a uh, big transition here, or jarring transition. Last night, the night before I'm recording this, CM Punk returned to WWE. Now there's a lot, again, tied up in this. He was in AEW for about a year and a half there were major backstage incidences. He got fired, and now he's back in WWE, when a lot of people said he wouldn't be, he couldn't be, and he shouldn't be. But CM Punk himself, and the people who said he wouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't, are examples of everything I've been talking about in this episode. Why do people need to have an opinion on the way CM Punk acts backstage? Is that not between him, his co-workers, and his employers? Why do people online, why do people in the media have something to say about if he should be back or not? Isn't that a decision made by him and the owners of the company, the people who make the hiring decisions in the company, the people who write the storylines for the company, yet everyone needs to have an opinion. Now, on the other side, especially in AEW, CM Punk always has had to voice his political opinion. And that's something I want to point out here. I have learned over the past couple years with CM Punk coming back to AEW with him getting fired from AEW with him now coming back to WWE I have learned that one of my favorite professional wrestlers ever is CM Punk I mean he already was but I realized just how much I enjoy CM Punk as a performer in AEW I, I, I love the the promos the speeches he gave I enjoyed his matches Because he has an intense focus on storytelling integration, where he wants everything to work together around ideas. And that's the thing. Here's the thing. I do not agree with CM Punk politically. If you look at his beliefs, he is the typical left-wing punk where people believe punk is left-wing, and I've spoken out against that many times, right? The idea that I don't understand how you can fight the power by giving power to the group and saying 
you know, what the group says most matters. I think the ultimate form of rebellion is individualism, and we will see that here in a moment when I talk about uh, Wish. So I, I disagree with him, but I could still be a fan of his, and I can still appreciate him because I do share some outlook with him. I share the outlook of the importance of speaking out, right, uh, of being a punk, as his name is, CM Punk. And that's part of what he always talks about. He always talks about, like, hey, why am I here? What makes me different? How am I going to change things? How am I going to shake things up? What am I going to stand for? Because, ultimately, he is straight edge, and he's all about living on principles. So, not to be narcissistic myself, but I think my ability to appreciate him as a performer versus being friends with him. And I don't know if I could be friends with him or not. I do know that he is friends with Chad from Newfound Glory. I do know that I think I would get along with Chad from Newfound Glory. But then again, I don't know if I would. That's just me projecting what I appreciate with him onto him. What I appreciate from him onto him. And, you know, the brief interactions I've had with him, we... We've seemed to gotten along. And he says things the same way I would, or he thinks similar things that I would. But then again, does he agree with me on everything? I don't know. He's friends with CM Punk. But then again, that doesn't mean they agree politically. My point being, though, maybe I'm being narcissistic here, but I think my ability to be a fan of his as a professional wrestler, despite having disagreements with him politically, philosophically, is a healthier way to be and all the reaction around this while it's beneficial to WWE as in it gets them more attention. I, I just don't think it's very healthy and it's an example. I think it's very related to, you know, the way people are protesting at the Macy's day parade to end the conflict between Israel and Hamas. I mean, think about that for a second. Oh, let's end the conflict. Yeah, because we all want the conflict where people are dying to keep going, right? That's what we all want in the world. Oh, I'm not protesting because I want them to keep killing each other. I want them to keep going because I support genocide on all sides. Think about that for a moment, right? They claim, Hamas claims, Palestine claims, oh, they're genociding us. Well, isn't that what Israel is saying, that they're being genocided, or if they don't stand up, they're being genocided? So aren't they making the same argument? Now, I'm not equivocating between the two, and I'm not saying they're the same, and I'm not giving a direct opinion. My point simply is, just because you're silent or just because you're not always speaking out doesn't mean that you're for something, right? I'm not for the war in Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine. I'm not for what's going on in in Gaza just because... I'm being silent, right? I'm obviously against war, but things are more complicated than that. Do I think war should be done often? No, I don't even know how to say this properly. How about that? I am considered by many people to be well-spoken, but I don't know how to say this often. Is war an option? Yes. Should it be an option? Yes, because sometimes... I've said it before, sometimes some people just need to be punched in the face. That doesn't mean I support punching people in the face. And I don't think we have that level of complexity. And the the line I was drawing here is, you can be fan of thing, fans of things, support things, and not fully support everything. 
As I've said numerous times to my students, you are never going to agree with anyone 100%. You're not even going to agree with yourself yesterday. So I'm excited CM Punk is back. And I wish people would see things on a more complicated level. Let's end things on a more positive note here. I want to review Disney's latest animated feature, Wish. Now, the complicated side of things. Disney has been having trouble. We've all tracked the quote-unquote woke in their stories, as has been pointed out by one of the midsiders. I can't remember his name right now. The problem isn't go woke, go broke. It's just when you go woke or when you have clear allegiance to one type of ideology over and over again. You know, it's the same thing with objectivists who try to write stories and they're just basically rewriting Atlas Shrugged or Fountainhead over and over again, right? It's important to have your principles, but you shouldn't write based on an ideology. You should write based on your principles. So the problem isn't go woke, go broke. The problem is when people try to write based on the social justice ideology, they tend to have the same story over and over again. And we've seen this bear out with the MCU, with the way Iron Man died in Endgame. Uh, We saw this with the end of Loki, the series, the end of season two, where what I predicted at the end of season one came true. And we've seen this with Disney movies over and over again. And in their last animated feature, Strange World, was absolutely terrible because of how much social justice was forced into it. To the point that it just became more and more absurd as that movie came on. Well, I am here to tell you that Wish stands in contrast to Strange World. In fact, it's kind of hard for me to believe that the same studio made both movies. Which, actually, is a good thing. Isn't the problem with A23 that they just keep... A23, A24, that they just keep making the same. A25, A26, that's like they keep making the same movie over and over again. It's the same ideas over and over again. Maybe we need the studio that does some social justice movies and some non-social justice movies, some collectivist movies, some individualistic movies. Well, they've done that with Wish. Disney has done that with Wish. Here's my one-sentence review. After clunky exposition... Wish develops into a subtly and suitably meta love letter to classic Disney. Here's the deal, technically. I was really worried in the beginning of this movie. Now, first of all, it's only 95 minutes, an hour and 35 minutes. Does that include the credits? I don't know, maybe. I recognize that this is a kid's movie. I do. I recognize that. So they don't want it to be super long. But the beginning of this movie, the exposition is rushed through. First of all, they do the whole beginning of Shrek where it's a storybook that they read how the King Magnifico founded the kingdom. Then, after that voiceover, they transition to showing that the main character, Asha, was the one doing that voiceover to remind her 100-year-old grandfather, and I will say the 100 years is intentional, I won't tell you why, but if you're smart enough while listening to this, you'll figure out why. I figured it out, and I didn't think they were actually going to do it, and then they did it, which was very gratifying. 
Not that I figured it out. I mean, I do that all the time. It was gratifying in the sense that, hey, they actually did the right thing. And when I say the right thing, they did the the most logically, thematically congruent writing choice. So Asha is, is telling her 100-year-old grandfather what, hap- what happened with the history of the founding of the kingdom because he wants to get his wish granted on his 100th birthday. It's his 100th birthday. He wants to finally get his wish granted. Then, out of nowhere, she's working in the castle and she has an interview to be the apprentice of the, the king. They have a conversation, her interview... And their philosophically opposed ideas come out. The conflict has now started. However, here's the problem. All of this was rushed through. As I just described, it is basically how it happened. It was just a a number of scenes and the conflict then started. Now, once this conflict has started, this movie becomes tremendous. It has typical... Disney songs, it has important ideas in it, and those ideas harken back to classic Disney. Disney, remember, from Missouri, very American, and American in the sense of individualism and freedom. It is impossible to look at this movie and not read it as supporting freedom and being pro individualism. Now it does have the idea of the citizens all have to rebel against the king, right? This is a mass movement and they can only do it all together. But as I said earlier, we only have limited sphere of influence, each of us. And as we've seen in history's greatest revolutions, including the American revolution, sometimes mass action is necessary. Again, I'm not against protest. I'm against the way modern protests are handled I'm not even against them. I just think, fine, do it. I just don't think it's accomplishing much. But we saw in the civil rights movement how mass action can be worthwhile, especially when it is local, not global. That is my main point of critique. Whereas here, this is very local. It just takes place in the one kingdom of Rosas. And they have to, and I say that because they pronounce it like eight different ways in the movie, so... I'm not sure how to properly pronounce it. R-O-S-A-S, Rosas is probably how I would say it. Rosas, Rosas, I don't know. Say it how you want. But, you know, mass action is necessary. But the whole point was, look, I'm going to simplify this for you. This movie is taxation is theft, the movie. And what I mean by it is the following. Magnifico has a malevolent universe premise. He believes That if you are not protected, the world will destroy your dreams and cause you to feel grief. However, Asha, the young girl who's 17 years old, does not have that opinion. She has the benevolent universe premise. The idea that your wish is what makes you who you are. And no one has the right to take it. But the king, Magnifico, founded a kingdom in which on your 18th birthday... You give your wish to him, and he keeps it and protects it. And then he decides whose wishes to grant by deciding whose wishes will help the kingdom and whose won't. Do we see the the collectivism here? 
he decides whose wishes help the kingdom and whose don't. And that, this, do we see the social contract here? The idea that you have to give up your wish in order to be part of this kingdom. And do we see the narcissism here, that he is the one who gets to decide? This is all in the movie. I am not making this up. But the reason this is taxation is theft the movie is she literally says, Asha literally says, and I'm paraphrasing here, the wishes aren't his to keep. She goes to free her grandfather and her mom's wishes. Her dad is dead. She gets to fr- she goes to free her grandfather and her mother's wishes. And somebody says to her, but they're not your wishes. You're stealing them from the king. You're going to go in there and steal the wishes from the king. And she says, they're not his for me to steal them. They don't belong to him. Essentially saying he's the one who stole it to begin with, right? She has the moral right to take them back because they were stolen to begin with. Now they were given willfully and they weren't really stolen. But the point was he gave them under false pretenses. And that is where this movie is taxation is theft. The movie where it's the idea that government is always going to be taking what is yours under these false pretenses. And the movie is all about them fighting to get their wishes back and freeing themselves from Magnifico's rule. And it concretizes and shows, you know, him becoming more and more evil and the town fighting back and the importance of when you wish upon a star. And there are numerous, numerous, numerous meta references to old school Disney, classic Disney in the movie to the point that in the closing credits, and this isn't a spoiler, to the closing credits, they show different images from the history of Disney alongside the the names of the people who worked on the movies. And to the point that I don't like to, before I give my reviews, read all about movies that I've watched, but I'm looking forward to seeing what other references people spotted in the movie that I didn't spot because I spot a bunch. Once I realized what was going on, then I was able to, to, to pick out a lot. And it, at first I thought I was making it up. Like at first I thought I was hallucinating it. Cause what I'll say is like, there's one character who keeps sneezing and I'm like, how is that related? How is that related to the movie that this character keeps sneezing over and over again? And then I thought about it and I saw the other characters and they literally say another character is sleepy. They say, oh, his wish was taken on his 18th birthday. That's why he's so sleepy or something of that nature. Or he says, like, I was worried I would just be sleepy for the rest of my life. And I was like, wait a second. That's intentional at that point. And then once you go forward from there and you realize that's intentional, you realize what's actually going on. So for my money, this is one of the best Disney movies in a long time. I know it's probably not going to get as much attention as, say, Encanto or Coco. I don't know if it's better than Coco. Coco was tremendous. Uh, Encanto had more philosophical issues than this movie had, whereas Encanto had fewer technical issues. This had the major technical issue of the exposition at the at the beginning being very rushed and clunky, whereas Encanto had the philosophical issue of... She's special for not being special. That whole idea. I know Daniel had a major issue with that. Uh, This, 
I don't know. I'm interested to see what the response to this movie is. Because for me, Disney's Wish, four out of five stars, Disney's Wish, this is a bromantic movie. It's not a so bromantic movie because of the clunky exposition at the beginning. However, the iconography here is a callback to classic Disney. The songs are enjoyable. If you listen to the villain song, the villain song is tremendous. If you listen to the the main song of this wish, it's tremendous. And I will enjoy, unlike Let It Go, which can get annoying, I will enjoy hearing I wish at the parks going forward. I can see them integrating it into fireworks. I can see the song being integrated into shows such as World of Color at California Adventure. And I think that would be enjoyable going forward, knowing the ideas behind it. So... I can get past the clunky exposition, especially because the second half of the movie is tremendous. I mean, look, my eyes welled up a number of times, and I'm pretty sure my wife was crying. Okay, that brings us to the end of this trip. The last thing I'd like to reinforce is if you sign into the Discord, you go to midside.com or midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and there's the Discord sign in there. I'm going to pop in a link to the end of the year voting. We are almost to the end of the year. We're going to have our award ceremony. I'm going to put up there where you can vote for the most farcical news story of the year and also nominate people for all our different categories, such as you know the Romantic Manifestation Award and the Narcissist of the Year and the, the John Rawls Trophy for Advancement of a Batshit Ideology. All of these that you can vote for. So... Look for that this coming week. Hopefully I get this up. I get that up right before or after I get this episode locked and ready to be released to all of you. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emelzinski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Stay back.